All right, if you would, grab your Bibles, apps, whatever you look at the Scripture with. I want you to have one open of your own. If you don't have one and you want to use a hardback one, there should be some about every other chair or so in front of you. You're welcome to use those. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 today. Um, If you're using one of our Bibles out of the seat backs there, it'll be on page 981 and 982. Um, Go ahead and turn there or fire up the app, whatever it is, and we're going to walk through this together. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to have one, the one in your seat backs would be our gift to you. We'd love for you to take it home. All right, we're going to read this, and then we're going to um, see what the Lord has for us as we talk about it together. So read with me. This is the word of the Lord. Philippians 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness from my own but that, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider what I have or consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and if if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would uh, help it make sense today. Lord, would you speak through me? Um, May your your spirit communicate. We believe your word is living and active, and so we just uh, open ourselves up to it this morning. Um, Help it make sense. May it bring glory to you. May it shine light into the depths and the darkness of our souls. Bring us Uh, further into your resurrection. Lord, we ask these things, hope these things in Jesus' good name. Amen. All right, well, I started going to church um, 
I don't, I'm some, I was a kid. I didn't like grow up in church. Like some of you guys were like, you know, born in church and, you know, there from day one. But for us, uh, my mom and I started going back whenever I was a young kid, somewhere around the age of 10. And we went for several years. We started going, you know, pretty much every week right off the bat. And one thing, a couple of things that they made clear to me in the church that I, I kind of started going to is one that I was bad, right? I was a sinner, right? Like they run through those 10 commandments and I was like, whoa, wait, I'm a liar. And I'm a, like, I don't obey my parent. Like, you know what I mean? So really quickly I began like, I'm bad. And, and because I'm bad, I deserve to burn in hell, right? Like those things were made clear, like, I think before the first song started, right? Like it was really, really clear that that was the big idea. But then the second thing that they made clear, praise God, was that Jesus saves, right? And so those were kind of the, the things that were um, w- the weekly themes, if you will. And every week there was an invitation to come and pray a prayer and be saved from your sins so that you didn't burn in hell and Jesus would be your Savior. And so um, as I was kind of looking around this small country church, I quickly realized it seemed as though everybody else had already done that. And so every week there's this thing called an altar call. And some of you have been in, in churches where this is the thing. And they, they sing, um, they sing a, a final song, a hymn of invitation, if you will. And they're inviting people to come and, and be saved. And, and like I said, there was only like 30 of us. And I was pretty sure everybody else already had done that deal. And so everybody's just kind of looking at me and waiting on me. And then afterwards they tell me they were praying for me. And so as like a 12-year-old, I was like, all right, like, I don't know what else. So I finally got up, the, like, so if you've been there, like, my heart would be pounding. I'm, like, kind of holding on to the back of the pew. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if, uh, and, and so there's just all this tension and confusion. And it's like, I, you know, basically, do you want to go to hell? And I'm like, well, no. Well, then come receive Jesus. Well, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, do you want to go to hell? I'm like, no. But, and so there was just this tension. So finally I did it, right? I walked the aisle and I prayed the prayer. And, and I felt better. Like there was, there was truly, and I, I don't mean to mock all of it, like there was truly a weight lifted off of my shoulders. And, and my heart felt really, like brought to life. And there, there truly was uh, a relief. I got baptized and I remember feeling like, okay, like, I, like those invitations come around and be like, all right, I'm in. Like I got this. Who are we looking at now? You know, who's next? And uh, so it was like, man, I felt so much better during the invitation time. Um, and, and things were good for a while until a few weeks into this deal, I realized, like, I'm still kind of bad, right? Like, I'm still sinning. I'm still struggling. Uh, must not have done it right. So then there's this tension of, like, what do I do now? Like, I already told him I did it, right? Like, I, I walked the aisle. I did the whole thing. They, like, that would be embarrassing to be like, all right, psych, got to redo this guy. He didn't, it didn't take. didn't take on this one. I'm going to try this guy again, dunk him again. Like, so there's this tension. So then I'm, now I'm wrestling again. Now I'm back in the back. And then I'm like, all right, man, I guess that's me. Like, the spirits must be talking to me. Like, so I'm like, oh, man, like, I, 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 clearly I didn't do this right. And so I remember being so, like, so worried about this. Like, clearly I'm not saved because I'm still sinning, and I don't know what to do because they all think I'm saved, and the longer this goes, the more awkward it gets, right? Like, the longer you wait in this deal, the more awkward it is in this small country church that I'm in. And so I remember sitting in my bed at night, and, like, after my mom would tell me goodnight, like, I'm reading Romans 10, 9, like, all right, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is the, Jesus is the Savior, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I'm like, okay, confess with my mouth. God, I believe that Jesus is the Savior, you raised him from the dead, I need a savior. Did I do that right? Okay, yeah. 
Believe in your heart. I don't know how to do that. But I believe in my heart. Like, I'm believing as hard as I can. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how you believe. You, know, you worked that up in you, but I was trying. Like, all right. So I'd pray the prayer, and I'd be like, all right, maybe that took. Maybe that did it. And I was longing for, like, something to happen where I felt this thing, right? Where I felt, and, 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 I, and so this went on for a while, and, and I did. I finally was like, well, clearly, that thing only happens when you come to the altar at the church. So I got to do this thing again. So I go through weeks of working up the nerve of like, all right, I got to pray this prayer again. I got to tell everybody that I messed up and I, I really didn't mean it the first time, but I mean it this time and I'm ready to be saved. And so I did that again. And I was like, do I get baptized again? And he was like, well, let's just wait and see. Let's just play this one out. See how it goes before we, you know, fill up the tub. But, um, that was a struggle. And I don't know how many times I did that. I don't know how long I went through that tension. And, and, and I think here's, like, over time, I begin to realize, like, that led to a lot of guilt and a lot of hiding from me and feeling like I had not done it right, like, that God must not have really saved me. Um, and, and, man, it did. That Like, the only two choices were, like, okay, we'll just pretend that, like, I'm good like everybody else seems to be, or I got to tell them <laughs> I didn't do it right again. <laughs> I'll try it a third time. Third time's a charm. Right, and so this tension just went on. And I felt, I felt this tension of like hiding, and what do I do? And um, my guess is that many of you have kind of seen, or observed, or felt a similar struggle in your own life, where it feels like when you got saved, you were supposed to be made good. Right, you were bad, so you need Jesus to save you. So you ask Jesus to save you, and you expect Him to make you good. And when that doesn't happen, you don't know how to. You know what I mean? You don't know what to do. And I think that leads to so much pretending. That's why we say every week, "Don't pretend here." Because we believe that, that Jesus actually has much more. It's not less than getting saved and going to heaven when you die. Like, it's not less than that, but we believe it's actually a lot more than that. And so the good news is that Paul actually speaks to this today in our passage. And so we're going to look at, look at this passage. It's a big passage. We're going to really let it speak for itself and break it down in some, some pieces. And, and here's, I think, the big idea that I wasn't taught well is that justification and sanctification, I don't even think these words were used, which is fine. These are big words. But justification and sanctification are different things. And they happen at different times. So what I mean by that, justification is, is dealing with the fact that you are guilty. I was guilty before a living, holy, righteous God. Because I had rebelled against him, I had sinned against him, and I did indeed deserve to burn in hell. Because I had rebelled against a holy, righteous, and all-glorious God, I had rejected his, his way of life and instead done things on my own. And, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so we stand before him judged as guilty. So, uh, but the good news is, as we talked about earlier, like Jesus paid that price. That's what we celebrate in communion, that his body was broken, his blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven. And so when we call on the name of the Lord, when we do acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need a savior and I believe that Jesus is that savior, the Bible says that we'll be saved, like that we will be forgiven, justified, all our, like the record is wiped clean. It's a clean slate. We stand before the Lord with no guilt before or on us. He sees us as though he sees Jesus, and we have a perfect and right standing before the Lord. And the Bible says that that happens in a moment whenever we trust Jesus to be our Savior. We are born again, a new heart. Our sin is separated as far as the east is from the west, no longer to be brought up, no longer to be held guilty. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That happens in a moment. We are justified. But what I wasn't taught well is that sanctification doesn't happen at the same time as justification. 
we are made right, we are forgiven, we are justified before the Lord from the penalty of sin. But then that's not all. There's more. And it's not like more we have to do. It's more we, we get to receive from Jesus. And sanctification is simply the process of becoming like Jesus. Becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, for many of you, that feels like a burden. Like, I just took the burden off of you saying you could be forgiven, right? Of your, and then I say, but now he wants you to become like him. And you're like, oh, that's work, right? Because if we're honest, we're not like him, right? Like, that was the tension I was feeling. Like, I, I'm saved, but I don't feel like Jesus. Like, I'm still lusting. I'm still lying. I'm still, you know what I mean? All this stuff in my heart. And so, so the process, the sanctification is the process. When we're, now we're justified. We, we don't have to earn anything. And if we die at any moment, we, we're to be present with Jesus. Like, we will go to heaven. Like, we are forgiven. That is justification. Sanctification is now the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Paul puts it this way in one of his letters to the Corinthians, that we are being saved. That we are being saved. I've said this way before. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Right? That's done. It's in the past. Whatever moment you cried out to Jesus as your Savior, you're saved from the penalty of sin. You no longer suffer death in the way that, it was, that our sin uh, deserves to be suffered. Instead, we will gain heaven, forgiveness, life with him forever. Have been saved from the penalty of sin. And then we are being saved, actively, present tense, from the power of sin. Okay? Have been saved from the penalty of sin. Now we are being saved from the power of sin. And then one day, praise God, at the end, when Jesus comes back, we will, we will be saved completely, totally, fully, and forever from the presence of sin. And that's the fullness of the gospel. What we're going to talk about today is that middle piece, being saved. What does that look like? Right? Um, and that's the process of, of being sanctified. Becoming more and more like Jesus, really, as he does this work in us, we gain more and more victory over sin, and we uh, die to ourselves, and we find life in Christ, and we begin to look more and more like him. And so that is the process of sanctification, and that is what uh, I don't think was made clear for me, is that, hey, Jesus saves you. Now you get to grow in that. You get to become more and more like him, and over time, the things you hate about yourself will become, um, you'll, you'll get saved from that power. You'll, you'll grow in Christ You'll, you'll, you, you won't be perfect until the day that he comes back and we're transformed, as it said at the end of the passage. But in the meantime, like, you get to experience increasing amounts of joy and salvation in Jesus. And so we see this from Paul whenever he says in verse 8, he says that I, I, I do all this, I count everything as, as lost so that I may gain Christ. So that I may gain Christ. That's present tense, as though, as though it's something that, like, he has Christ. That's a weird concept. It's present tense that I may gain Christ. He says it again in verse 11. He's talking about that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Like he, he's longing for something. He's, he's, he's yearning for something. Again, in 12 through 14, he talks about not that I've already there, uh, but I press on. He says that I strain forward. I forget what's behind me. I'm work- he said earlier in uh, Philippians from last week's passage that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. These are active present tense verbs that, that seem to be in tension with like that we don't earn our salvation, right? We don't work to get Jesus' approval and to be saved, right? And so you have to hold this in context and know what the Bible is saying at large is that we, we have been saved. We are justified and we don't earn that. Paul makes it really, really clear that it's he who began a good work. He is the one that made us his own, he says, right? In verse 12, 
Jesus made me his own, so now I'm, I'm, I'm working to make his salvation, his resurrection, my own, because he has purchased me. It belongs to him and him alone. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by our works. But Paul says there's, there's an active process now where we're longing for, straining ahead, pressing onward to get more of this salvation thing, to get more of Jesus. And so there's more offered than just you get to go to heaven when you die, right? Which is a great thing. But I think so many of us, we just think, okay, that's the offer of Christianity. So I get to decide, do I want to be on that team or not? Do I want to trust in Jesus or not? And for a lot of us, we think the cost is, okay, if I do that, then I got to start coming to church and I got to do these things. And okay, I can, I can, you know, I could spend, you know, two out of three or one out of four Sundays a month for the rest of my life going to church and get heaven at the end of the day. Like, that's a bargain. I'll take it. Sign me up, right? And we think that's what's kind of required. So I'll come, I'll pray this prayer, I'll get forgiven. Maybe I'll even join the church and then you know, I keep living my life, doing my thing, and one day I'll reap that reward, right? It's like an insurance policy, like, I'm going to save up. One day, I'll cash that thing in. And that's kind of, for many of us, that's really what we're taught. And it just kind of ends there, and then we're left trying to figure out life. And what, like, what does the gospel have to do for, with, like, with my Wednesday depression? What does the gospel have to do with my struggle with secret sin? What does the gospel have to do with the sickness and the diagnosis that has come over my, my own body or my family's body? We, don't, we aren't taught and we don't study and we don't see the fullness of the gospel and what, what Christ has to offer. We miss out and we're kind of left in this cloudy um, state of confusion like I was as a kid and wondering, okay, what, what does the Lord want from me? What? What is it that truly brings this peace? Or maybe this, maybe this is all just, you know, we just kind of endure the sermon until it's over. We'll go to lunch, and then you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see about next week, right? Paul is painting this picture of yearning for more. Like, he's not trying to earn his salvation. He says, Christ made me his own, period. That has happened. Like, Paul has no other, uh, like, Defense before the Lord, he's not, but he says, he's made me his own, but now I, I want more and more and more. So there's more to salvation than just justification and getting to heaven when we die. Like, and that is not to minimize that. Please don't hear me saying, like, that is, even if that is all, praise God, amen? If that is all that he does for us is that we, when we die, we, we go to heaven, which we do not deserve. We get out of hell, which we do deserve. That in itself is enough for us to glory in for the rest of our life. But there's so much more that Christ has to offer for us, and that's where we get into this, that Paul is this yearning that he, that he puts before us. And the second thing, so sanctification is, doesn't happen at the same time as justification. Um, it is a process of becoming more and more like Christ through his power, through a gift, through an invitation of him. We drink deeper of the well. Second thing, though, Paul wants it to be clear. It doesn't happen through religious activities. Okay, It doesn't happen by just going through the motions and doing things. We don't earn more of God's favor. We don't pay him back. We're not, it's not Jesus plus anything. Paul's going to make that clear here in Philippians because he's going to speak to the fact that very real time, very much a cultural issue in this day is people saying, okay, great, you've come to, you're a Christ follower now, like you're a part of God's family now, you need to be circumcised, right? And so there's this, this movement of people saying, hey, God 
His, his salvation, his forgiveness, his love, it's not just for the Israelites anymore. Gentiles are getting saved. People are coming from other faiths. Like, and so clearly God wants them to be circumcised. And, and, and Paul, there's, there's been this whole tension. You can read about it in Acts where they, they bring it before this council of early church leaders. Hey, is this true? If they're a Gentile, they've never been circumcised. When they come to meet Jesus, do they got to be circumcised? If I'm like in that camp, I'm praying that vote goes to no, Right? Right? Like, I, I don't want to go under that knife as an adult. I'm like, ah, like that's a whole nother, we're counting that cost all over again if that's, that boat goes to yes. And, and there's, this, there's this cultural movement happening. We're saying, well, yeah, but you need to be religious. You need to go through these motions. You need to be circumcised. You need to go, to, uh, go through all these ceremonies. You need to do all of these things. And Paul is telling them, he's kind of wrapping up this book. Because you see in uh, verse, or back in, in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, he says, finally, right? So Paul's actually trying to wrap up his book, but he's much like me. He gets distracted and has another thought, and it's going to go on for a little while. So he's finally, he says, rejoice in the Lord. So he's just unpacked for them this life that God has for him. He says, don't stop leaning in. You need to be a servant to your fellow brothers and sisters. You'll be a light in the dark world as you serve and put others before you. Christ, you're going to follow Christ's example. You're going to do great work. He's put all this before him, and then he comes to uh, chapter 3 says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. And, and he's, he's wanting to move into what we're going to get into next week in chapter 4, because you see later in chapter 4, he gets back to it in 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. So like that's where he's headed. But in the moment, he has this thought. He says, man, okay, these are my people. I love this church. I want them to get it. I, I want them to complete my joy because I, I, God, he, he sees them like his kids. He doesn't want them to understand it just a little bit and then walk away. He says, no, 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 there's more, there's more, there's more. You need to complete the fullness of my joy by, by living in the manner that Christ has put before you. And so he starts to say, listen, you're going to live as servants. You're going to pour out yourself as sacrifices. And, and all the while, you're going to rejoice in the Lord. You need to have, like, you need to rejoice. And that's just a, a weird church word. We don't really say rejoice anymore in our day, but that's just like glory and delight in Drink in and, and like enjoy the Lord. Don't, enjoy, don't try to enjoy or delight in your circumstances because those are going to change. Probably for the worse for these people. Like they keep following Jesus and their circumstances are going to get worse. Paul's writing this from prison. So he says, listen, don't, don't try to joy and rejoice and enjoy and delight in your circumstances because they're probably going to change. Don't try to delight in and treasure your material gains because you, you might lose your job. You might lose your possessions. You don't have any guarantee of that. But rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in your friends. You might lose them, right? There's going to be cost to following Christ, but rejoice in the Lord. And, he's, and then as he's writing this, I think he has this thought of, oh, yeah, and I need to tell you about these people that are going to try to get you off track. And what they're trying to do is say, yeah, that's great that you've received grace by faith. But hey, don't forget, you've got to do all these list of things. And they try to put the law, the, the ritual, the religious ceremony all back on these people that have received Jesus. And Paul says, listen, that ain't, that, you, you do that and you've lost the gospel. You add anything on to Jesus and you've lost the gospel. If it's Jesus and Fill in the blank. If it's Jesus and church, or if it's Jesus and not saying cuss words, Jesus and not watching rated R movies, Jesus and dressing a certain way, Jesus and driving a certain type of car. Like, any, you add anything on there, and you have, you've not just like, like, you've lost the gospel. Paul comes at this ferociously in the book of Galatians saying, listen, how dare you be bewitched? How dare you move so quickly to another gospel? You're not just adding to some, like, you're not putting some good things on and, like, spicing up the gospel. He says, no, no, you've lost it. If it's anything that you accomplish or you do or you gain credit from yourself, 
then it's an issue altogether, and you have lost the gospel. And so he wants to warn them about this. This is, what he, this is who he's talking about. And he says, listen, it is, you don't grow in Christ. You don't get more joy by doing religious activities. This is what he means in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the circumcision party, the people who are trying to influence them into this Jesus plus whatever um, stuff. He says, for we are the circumcision. Paul says, listen, that was me, right? I got that. Like, that's been my story. Had that identity. We are the circumcision. But I worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, right? I glory in Christ, not in my circumcision, but I glory in Christ. I put no confidence in the flesh. And Paul, very practically, I want you to hear this. He says, listen, these people are trying to tell you you need to do a bunch of religious activities in order to to please God or whatever. Listen, he said, that's foolish. They think that doing all this stuff is going to gain you some kind of credit. He says, listen, if that earns you confidence in the flesh, then he says, I got captain of that team. He says, I've been there. I, I got all that. Verse 4, if, in the middle there, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul says, listen, I have done that. I'm circumcised on the eighth day, right? So he's got the right religious rituals. He's, he's never missed a day of Sunday school in his life, right? Um, he's of the people of Israel. He's got the right heritage. He's even got special heritage. He's of the of tribe of Benjamin, um, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's not like gone off and started speaking Greek. He's not like, tank, like he has stayed pure in his ethnicity. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, like as to knowing God's word, right? Some people say, oh, you got to memorize. You got to do all this. And Paul says, listen, I had to memorize. Like I, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first four, five books of the Bible. Paul says, I got that. Like I'm Pharisee. Check that box off. Like the religious stuff, the duties, all, I've been there, done that. And he says, as for zeal, like genuineness, like authenticity, that's what some people say in today, like it doesn't matter what your religion is as long as it's authentic to you, right? As long as, it, as, long as it's true to your heart, then, then, you know, all religion is good. And he says, listen, as to zeal, like I was a persecutor of the church. Like it, it wasn't just lip service Paul was giving to his religion. It affected how he lived. He says, listen, I, I was there. I've checked all of those boxes. And so the law was blameless. Like Paul says, listen, as far as everybody's standards, I was blameless. I'm, I'm not sleeping around. I ain't watching anything I'm supposed to watch. I'm not saying anything I shouldn't say. I have kept the slate clean. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, and listen, in those days, that put Paul in the upper echelon of the community. Like, he had status, he had uh, wealth, and he had influence because of all those things he just listed. But he says in verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul makes it clear, it is not about our works. It's not about our religious activities. It's not what gains us more and more of Jesus. He says, that, that's not how it works. Don't you dare think that it's okay. You've got Jesus now. You've got to do all that. No, no, no. Paul says, all of that, that I've been there, done that, all the things they're telling you is important. Paul says, I'm not just saying no because I, you, you're going away from my way. He says, I'm telling you, those things didn't earn me a lick of grace from God. Paul says, all my righteousness, all the boxes that they're telling you are important to check, I checked them all, and I was still filthy and condemned before a righteous and holy God. I didn't earn any more of God. So some of you need to hear this. and You, need, you, you feel like you're here, and you're like, okay, yeah, flawed, imperfect people, but that probably just means they've done like a, you know, you know they probably like didn't obey their parents once when they were kids. You know, no, like you don't know what I've done, Jordan. Like, and, and listen, I know that in a room this big, there's, there's people there saying, you, you don't know what I've done, preacher. Like, you, you don't know my story. 
You don't know what's been done to me. There's no way, if I was honest, there's no way you would let me into this place. There's no way that, that God could forgive me. You need to know that Paul says, I had done all that the society said was good and right, and it did not earn me any favor before the Lord. I was still guilty and condemned. And listen, Paul is actually going to realize that what he thought he was doing out of zeal, he's actually murdering people. You see, time after time in Scripture, that Jesus approaches people whose society says are filthy, unworthy, and Jesus welcomes them in. Welcomes them in. Because we don't earn God's favor by religious activities. And then lastly, Paul wants us to make it, make it really, really, really clear that, that growing in sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, that's there for our joy. That is there for our joy. Listen, I, I, what I felt whenever I'm in your seats and I hear a preacher start talking about being sanctified, becoming more like Jesus, I feel like, okay, I gotta, there's a list of things to do. Right? These things i got to do. And, and, and then there comes this guilt whenever I don't do them well. Right? Anybody else feel that tension? When I don't do the, these right things and, and I see other people that are being better Christians than me, and I'm like, I'm feeling this, this guilt all over again. And, and, and Paul wants to get rid of that and say, listen, it's not, it's not about that. Like, it's not how he phrases it. it it's, it's about life. L- listen to Paul's language here in verse 8. See if you feel like this is something Paul did out of duty, right? Just, just, re- just rugged responsibility. It's what I'm supposed to do, so I'll do it. If you hear if that's the language that you hear, Look at verse 8 with me. Indeed, he said, I count everything as loss. Why? Because that's what God required of me. Like, in order to pay my debt, I had to, had to give it all up, right? Like, I had this really good life, but I realized, well, if I want to get into heaven, I can't, I can't take all of this stuff, so I'm going to have to give it up so that I can earn God's favor. Is that what he says? No, he says, I counted all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And, and listen, it's not like, I had, it's not like people, they, God pulled this stuff out of Paul's like white-knuckled hands saying, okay, if you're going to have me, you've got to get rid of the status. You've got to get rid of the religious activities. You've got to get rid of your popularity. You've got to get rid of your influence. And he's just, he's just sitting back waiting. All right, cough it up, cough it up. Cough. And it, after Paul gives everything, okay, now I love you. No, no, this is what Paul's describing. He says, listen, I saw Jesus and I let it all go because Jesus was worth all of it, so much so that all those things that were good things that had given me status, given me influence, given me happiness and, and you know, temporary fulfillment, he says, I consider them not just lost, but rubbish. And that word in the original language is crap. Okay, Paul wants to make a point. This is a pile of junk, a pile of crap to me. None of it matters when I hold it up against the supremacy and the glory of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, listen, I consider all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Like, Paul, it's, it, this is not like, you know, like God's not trying to steal from us. This is an invitation. But all this changes because Paul sees Jesus as the risen Savior, and he says, i got to have that, and I'll lay down everything else i got because I want that. This is, listen, Paul is going to dramatize for us what Jesus has laid, really what the whole Bible is about. You see this throughout the gospel. Jesus is telling stories. What is the kingdom of, he- of heaven like? Right? And he uses these, these illustrations, these stories. Well, it's like a guy digging in a field, and he finds his chest. Right? And, and it's, so, it's so valuable that he runs back home and sells everything that he has. Why? Because he feels really guilty, and he thinks he has to. 
No, no, sells everything he has so he can have that chest, right? Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of heaven's like. Like another guy finds a pearl and he says, this is, so, this is it. Like nothing else matters anymore. You can have everything else as long as I get this. And people go, and Jesus over and over again, there's these illustrations of Jesus saying, like, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And, and this is what Paul is saying. I saw Jesus and so nothing else matters. That I may gain Christ at the end of eight and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from my own or from the law, right? But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. Paul, don't you already know Jesus? Yeah. Paul says, I'm not satisfied though, I want more. Paul, don't you already have Jesus? Yeah, but I want more. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings. Listen. We talk about it. When, we're, when we baptize people, we say, we're, we're, I baptize you, my brother and my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Buried, our life buried with Christ, right? We're buried into, it's a symbol of being buried into the, to the grave. We're joining in Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, right? We're dying to our old self. So we're, we're uniting ourselves in Christ's death. Like, my life is over, and I, now the life I live, it's not I who live it, but Christ who lives in me. Like, like I died to my own self, forgiven, washed clean, and raised to walk in newness of life. Like, that's the picture that we paint in baptism. And what Paul is saying here is, like, that's how this plays out. Like, he's saying, I, there's more and more and more. Like, I'm united in, in, in his death. I want to be united in his resurrection. Like, it's not just resurrection whenever we die. There's, there's, there's a longing for more and more in Paul's voice here. Listen, this, this whole passage, like I said, Paul is really dramatizing what, what the offer of God, the work of God throughout history in the Bible. You think about it, in, at the end of Deuteronomy, I think chapter 30, uh, Paul, or, uh, Moses, from God, like God's message to his people, he says, listen, this is God speaking to his people. He says, listen, I've put before you life, and I've put before you death. Choose life. Choose life, and I may be your God, that you may walk in my ways, that I may bless you. That's what I want for you. Right? And even before that, back in Genesis 3, like that's the offer, isn't it? God creates this incredible garden, creates this lush creation. He's there for his people. He's walking, dwelling with them. And he says, listen, this is life. Enjoy all of it. But, but that, that one thing, that'll lead to death. So don't do that. Don't do that. Instead, enjoy life. Right? And then all throughout the scripture, this is God inviting his people back into his life. But the Bible says that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Did you hear that again? The Bible's very clearly diagnosing all of us. There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it leads to destruction. What he's saying, what that proverb's saying is, you take Jesus out of the mix, people are going to want to feel justified, people are going to want to find life, they're going to want to find hope, and they're going to do that through good works, through popularity, through pleasure, all these things. And so, the Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man and in the end. But so this is what seems right. This seems good. So I'm going to go that way, right? But in the end, it leads to death. This is what Ephesians 2 says when it says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Like not like the, the picture of somebody like drowning in an ocean and, and longing for somebody to throw them a life vest so they can be. That's not true. Like the picture the Bible painted is more like what the one Spurgeon said is this picture of people dead face down in the bottom of the ocean. Right? Like dead people aren't reaching for a light. Like they're dead, period. They're, they're, they're done. And, and so we are dead in our, in our sin. And there's, there's no hope for us outside of Jesus coming and pulling us out of that. And that's what, that's what Jesus has done for Paul. And Paul is telling him, like, listen, this is not just me being overzealous. Like 
Christ is so worth it. That I, so we talk about repentance all the time, right? Like repentance is turning away from our sin and turning toward God, and we kind of say that and we're used to that. I want you to think of this idea of like death is over there, and this is where all of humanity is going, like in droves, like zombie pack style, like toward the fire, right? Like we're all headed this way toward death. And Jesus comes and plucks us out and, and breathes new life into us. Think of Ezekiel's valley of dry bones. The Spirit of God has breathed out over them, and, and they begin to come back to life. Amen? Like, this is the work of God in salvation. He breathes His Spirit over us, and He brings us back to life, and He, and he sets our feet back on solid ground. And now, all of a sudden, it's not like, okay, we've got to earn our way, and I know life is out there somewhere, and I, I'm gonna earn, I know death's back there, so I've got to work. No, no, no. He sets before us life, and that life is Jesus. It's God. Like, that's, that is where life is found. Jesus says it to the woman at the well. He says, listen. Everybody's worried about, you're going to worship here, you're going to worship there, what, what's the right way? Jesus says, listen, there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day when people are going to worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about religious ideology, it's not about the flesh, not about what they can accomplish. It's going to be about, they've been born again, and then spirit and truth, they're going to worship him fully. And, and that's, you, you notice, that's what he said in Philippians 3. Like, we're of the circumcision, but we take no glory in the flesh. We're glorying in Christ, in Christ alone. All throughout the Gospels, there's people who are off in the margins of society, who've been written off as broken, sinful, helpless, fill in the blank. And then there's the righteous, religious people. And Jesus says, y'all have got it all wrong. The kingdom of heaven is for those who know that they're broken. And so the offer is that he, he, he calls us to turn away from our sin, but when we turn, we turn toward life and life is Jesus. And, and at the end of this life, one day we get Jesus, period. And it will be fully consummated. But there's a whole lot of Jesus we can get between here and there. And Paul says, I want more and more and more and more of Jesus. I'm going to strain on and press forward and, and, and longing to get more and more of Jesus. I think that's what he's talking about. He says, I want the power of your resurrection. I want to get that for myself. He says, listen, Christ conquered sin and, and death. There's, there's still sin at work in me. It's not fully put to death. And I want more and more of Christ's resurrection at work in me. So I want to I strain on for that. And it's not this idea of working hard and earning. No, no, it's like, like listen, when we, we're, we're headed toward life now, period. And nothing could change that. When we look back, we should see this, this huge wall that's like we can't see over it. We can't see past it. And on it, it just says justified justified by, by Jesus, right? Like uh, nothing in our past. Paul says, I'm a, for, one thing I know is forgetting what lies behind and straining on toward what lies ahead. That is our past accomplishments, our good deeds, and our filth. You don't think Paul had guilt about murdering guys like Stephen? You realize Paul had to go face up. You should read the book of Acts. Paul had to go face up with Stephen's friends that he, that he had consented to murdering. You don't think he had guilt about that? For, for maybe, that's what keeps you from experiencing life and, and straining on because you feel like there's so much guilt hanging over you, you can never, right? Paul says, I forget what lies behind. All I see behind me is justified by, by faith, and I keep getting to go on and go forward and lean in. And, and as I get more and more of Jesus, I get more and more joy. That's the offer of salvation that, that Paul is, before, is putting before us here in this passage. I think, you know, for, for so many people, that, that just seems like, man, Paul's just the holy roller, right? Paul, like, you've known people, like, it's not, 
controversial or uncommon or provoking in any way to be a Christian in our culture, right? Here in Illinois, not a big deal. Oh, you're a Christian? Cool, me too, right? American, Christian, you know, cool, same team, right? But when somebody starts, like, living radically, they start making everybody else uncomfortable. Like, well, that guy's taking things a bit serious. You didn't need to go be, like, selling your house or anything, man, like, cool to be a Christian, but don't be rat- like, don't be crazy, right? You don't need to be going, like, adopting kids, like, whoa, you know, like, let's not up, up, upset the apple cart here, like, yeah, we can all be Christian and just kind of do our thing, that just means we're good people from, you know, the South-ish, right? Like, cool, you're a Christian, but don't, like, oh, you're going to be, like, one of those, like, Paul says, no, 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 it's not me deciding, like, Paul's not deciding to be really, really awesome at Christianity, Paul says, listen, I saw Jesus, I got Jesus, period, I got Jesus. Like, what else could I do? What else matters? How could I go back to pursuing anything on that side of the deal? I got Jesus. Life's over here. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get one more of Jesus. Paul says, it's not about me deciding to be really awesome. No, no, no. It's Jesus, period. And that, listen, so the invitation here, what you should know, you should long for more of Jesus. You should not be complacent. You should not be comfortable just waiting for heaven, just punching your ticket. All right, I came to church. Like, you should have an angst inside of you longing for more and more and more of Jesus. And this is what Jesus talks about whenever he says, listen, you, could, you come drink from me and, and you'll never thirst again. You'll have living water. What he's talking about in that moment is that you now have the source of life that it will never, ever, you'll never get tired of it. Right now, my family is rejoicing. We got a new house, and it's awesome, and we're so blessed, and we're so humble, and we're, we just, we're so blessed. Like, we just, like, my wife and I just look at each other. We go, this is our house. Like, believe it? This is our house. Like, we, and we're just, like, we love it. My kids are enjoying it. Like, they, they want to be at home. Like, one of my kids turned down going to, like, a skating party. She loves to skate. She's like, no, I just want to go home and hang out and ride my bike. And, like, because they couldn't do that at our old house. And, like, and they're just, they're just, we're just loving it. And we're just, we're, we're in this moment of, like, rejoice. Like, we are feeling really, really blessed. But you know what? There's going to, like, it won't take very long. We'll all be over that. It's just our house now, right? Maybe someday we'll get a better one. Like, that's the, that's the process of our culture, right? My kids will be over it. What Jesus is saying is, you come and drink from me, and you'll never, ever get over it. You'll never get full on it, but you'll never want anything else. Like, you'll never go like, oh, well, okay, I'm kind of done with this. Like, what's next? Because that's, what that's what our life is before Jesus, right? Like, okay, I got this. Well, what's next? Like, kind of, he says, you'll never, never get over it. And that's what Paul's saying. It's like, I'll never get over Jesus. Like, I want more and more. One day, I'll get Jesus fully. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep crawling towards, straining forward to get more and more of Jesus. It has to be what he's meaning in this text when he says, I want to see the power of his resurrection. Like, that I may, that I may by any means attain the resurrection from the dead. Like, if you're just talking, like, you, like, if you're just talking about, like, traditional religion stuff, you'd be like, all right, Paul, you want me to, you want me to cut your head off? Because that'll get you the resurrection of the dead, right? Like, you mean, Jesus, Paul said, there's, there's, he wants that to be, like, he can experience that now. There's a present gain and yearn that Paul's expressing here in this passage. And he's warning them against people who are saying it's all about religious duties. He's warning them against people that are, he says, it's all about their God is their belly. They just do whatever, whatever they want in life. He says, listen, there's no life there. You make sure you keep following me, keep following others as they pursue Jesus. And here's, here's how it ends. Here, here's, the, here's the invitation. It's not try harder, do better, get more. Like, no, no. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, he says that we are all being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's a a process, one degree of glory to another. We're transformed. How? As we behold 
Jesus. We worship, behold Jesus' goodness. It's not, oh, if I try harder, do better, then I'll get more Jesus. No, no, no. No, no, Just lift your head. Lift your head. As the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The invitation is not try harder, do better, get it figured out, Christian. The invitation is, hey, worship. That's why we sing songs. That's why we sing two songs after the sermon. We want to, give, like, we want to behold Jesus. We, our hearts need to be reminded. That's why we do quiet times. What a terrible name for spending time with the Lord. But that's why we try to set aside time and engage with the Lord is because we want to know him more. Like we want to, we, that's how we're transformed. It's by beholding Jesus. Oh, man, I've been really bad this week. All right. Ask him for forgiveness and then just worship him. Ah, you don't know what I've done. I haven't talked to him in a long time. It's fine. He'll be glad to see you. Just worship him, right? That's the invitation from our Lord. Wherever you are, wherever that hits you today, if you've never trusted him as Savior, and you're like, man, I want that. Like, you can do that today. As I said, you, you, you realize you, you confess to the Lord you need a Savior, and you say, I believe, Jesus, you are that Savior. The Bible says you're, you will be saved. He will give you a new heart, forgive you of your sins, and you are his. He, he has made us his own, and that can happen for you today. We're not here because we have achieved it. Jesus made us his own, Paul said. For the rest of us, man, let's, let's lean in. Maybe we ask him to restore the joy of our salvation. Ask him to give us that yearning, that angst. Once again, let's pray. God, we can't do this on our own. We can't muster it up. But we believe that you offer life and life to the fullest. Help us to see that today through our fears and failures, through our anxieties, through our sin our lack of anger. Just help us to see you through all that today. And would you move in this time of response? We hope and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.